Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. I just did the fastest repositioning chair moving thing ever as the <laughs> intro music was coming in to get rid of all the squeaks. Hold out of breath. Uh, well, I'm over here eating your jerky. Mike makes the best beef jerky. Corey, tell our listeners about hummingbirds. Oh my gosh. So, um, <laughs> this is the I best. have, yeah, I have this little hummingbird mecca on our deck, I guess. Um, it started many years ago, my fascination with hummingbirds when I lived in the Midwest and saw one one time and I thought, man, are they really around here? Cause I lived in Michigan. I'd never seen them and, and, uh, put a feeder out and was, you know, seeing one or two, but towards the end of the summer, I guess when there's less blooming, the hummingbirds are really attracted to the feeders. And so long story short, I've got like 12 hummingbird feeders out and I've been going through at this time of year, uh, well, this is, you know, late, late summer, early, early fall gallons of hummingbird food that I just mix sugar water. But I don't know, Mike, how many would you say were there the other day when we were looking at them? I, I couldn't count. I mean, 40, 50 at a time, maybe. Yeah, and yeah. then at any given time, they were kind of swarming in and swarming out. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. In fact, maybe I'll give you a couple of hummingbird pictures you can share. I think <laughs> I, uh, well, we should put one on this episode for the graphic for this episode. <laughs> really? I'll put one up there. You guys, Corey's a great photographer, but he's caught some of these in some excellent light. So, Well, it brings peace. You know, you, you realize the greatness of God when you see things like that. Anyhow, I... Uh, yeah, good good stuff. Well, hey, we had a fun episode last time, beginning our discussion of what does the Book of Mormon teach? And we should, maybe we should tell our listeners, or maybe not, maybe you don't, if not, we'll edit it out. But tell the, us. The, well, just let them know that the website's currently down, but hopefully it'll be up by the time you hear this. But Corey did the last, he we did the last broadcast with no restoregospel.com scripture search. So <laughs> he wasn't, he was going, uh, he was winging it. And um, I just realized how often I use that. Uh, just yesterday, a friend asked me a question and I went to find a scripture and I'm like, you know, <laughs> you better find another way to for your brain to work because you know if something goes down and that site goes down, I rely on that a lot, as do a lot of people. So yeah, apologies for that technical issues beyond my control, but uh, that you know this is a test for us to realize that the word has to be written in our heart, right? Yeah. Mm. So uh, yeah, open up your scriptures and go back. You know, I just on that point though, Mike. For I'm like you, I, I usually store gospel every day, multiple pages open, you know, I'm studying and, or I'm going somewhere and want to look up a scripture, same, same thing you described. But for me, I found there's still no substitute uh, for the spiritual closeness that happens. When you, when you mentioned uh, in our last episode of, of the young man who says, I just want to like treat myself, you know, I just want to like take the Book of Mormon and go somewhere, read you know, it, read for my own yeah. edification. <laughs> and that's it. I, I still... For the fact that I might have read the scriptures a thousand times more on a computer screen or on a tablet or something, there's nothing that compares to just opening the Word and being alone with God and reading it from the pages. I still find that's the best source of learning, the best source of inspiration. And I know you still do that quite frequently, too. I've come back to it every day. There was a time period where I thought that— Hey, reading it online or reading it in the book is the same thing. But I've learned for myself, uh, no, there is no substitute for opening the book. So and enjoy the little outage to, to re- get reconnected with your books if you haven't done <laughs> that in a while. And, and you'll find and learn new things. And there's some other sites out there, Zion Bound, 
probably always get it wrong, .org, I think, or .com. And uh, anyway. Yeah, there's the, good ones. There's other resources. This will be up there, hopefully. It's hopefully working right now anyway. Yeah, so. yeah we hope so. Um, hey, the Book of Mormon, what does the Book of Mormon teach? So so last time we we had to kind of preface with what does the Book of Mormon not teach for some people who may have never picked it up. But we invite you to come and find this truth of Jesus Christ what is the Book of Mormon? You know, if, if, if someone asks that question, there's a lot of ways to answer it, but what it, what it starts with is it's an ancient, true account from Israelites who knew Jesus. You know, it is. These, these Israelites knew Jesus. Um, you know, people hear the Book of Mormon and they're not really sure what it is. And, you know, some people say, well, wasn't it just a book written by a guy named Joseph Smith? Well, that that's what some people might say. But if you read what it claims it is, it, it starts out as a diary and records of people who left Israel. And uh, it's a few different accounts of people, actually. But the, head, the, the, the first story you get is that it's uh, people who left Israel before it was destroyed about 600 BC. Now, now right there, some people might say, yeah, but don't we just have the Bible? Isn't that only God's word, right? Um, and, and that's an objection. There, there's even reasons why people believe that. One of them comes in the book of Revelation, in the very end of the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, there's a warning. It says, whoever adds to this book will be added the plagues of that are written in this book to him or whoever takes away. In other words, don't touch this word of God, right? Um, and th- that's a warning to anyone at any time. If God inspires and gives his word, well, we should take it as that and not try to modify it to our liking. Well, historically, you know, even though that book of Revelation comes at the end of the Bible, it wasn't certainly the last uh, chronological book to be written. In fact, uh, most people might not know this. It was put at the end, but the book of Revelation, which was written by John, the same John who wrote the book of John, he wrote the book of Revelation before he wrote the Gospel of John. In other words, that came later. He wrote this book when he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. So if you put the book of Revelation in chronological order, it would come right there with Matthew and Mark. It would come before all of Paul's letters and everything else. Um, why am I sharing this? Again, don't take a single scripture out of context. The The book of Revelation was not written as part of a Bible. It was just a single group of letters written to some people in some churches back in the day. Uh, they had no idea of us Gentiles who would be reading it someday. And they certainly weren't limiting God in that day to a specific collection of scriptures. They were They were magnifying God as this God who's come to earth for our salvation, and they were testifying to him. And many people who wrote from that testimony of God interacting with them in that day, their words were written down. Uh, A collection of people made a decision some years ago to make some books bound in a canon of Scripture. And over time, some books have been added, some books have been taken away. Uh, Even Martin Luther in his day, and recently as that day, wanted to remove the book of Revelation and the book of James and the book of Hebrews from the New Testament. And his reason for that was because they all mentioned works, which he felt didn't reconcile with grace. Now, not going into that subject, the point is that even in his day, people weren't looking at it as, oh, this is this uh, only place where God has ever spoken and only people to whom he's ever spoken. Um, when 
when Solomon dedicates the temple of that he was instructed by God to build, you know, the, the first temple, this mighty building, uh, he prays. And it's interesting in this, in his description of God to God, he, he talks about this magnificent building, the most magnificent building that's ever been built in the history of the world at this point in time, dedicated to God. And he says this, he says, you know, God, he said, heaven and earth, can't contain you, how much less this house that I've built, right? How are you going to fit into this little house when you've made everything, right? And yet God accepted their their sacrifice and their offering and fire comes down and consumes the 1,500 or whatever it was, bullocks that were offered. And all, all this just shows God approved of this humility that Solomon was dedicating or demonstrating. But the, the point is this, the whole universe can't contain God and his doings, we, we shouldn't believe that somehow everything he ever wanted to know was in a collection of books that was sort of decided by committee by people who lived hundreds of years ago. What if he spoke to other people? He's the God of all nations, right? Um, when Jesus is alive, speaking to the Israelites, he says this from the book of John, and the King James Version reads just like any others. This is from the King James Jesus says, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, and them also I must bring. They shall hear my voice, and there will be one fold and one shepherd. So Jesus from the beginning has even let us know that he would speak to other people. So why not have those words written down? Do you feel, Corey, do you feel more free being able to look at it from this viewpoint as opposed to someone in the evangelical world who's been brought up to only recognize the Bible, I kind of feel like they have to build a case that, you know, the Bible is the inerrant word of God, that it is the law, that it was like the Bible project often says, like, you know, men think it was this golden thing that just came out and out of heaven and here is the Bible and it's unfettered by man's influence through the years. And to think otherwise uh, can lead to slippery foothold, but I feel like the Book of Mormon gives us freedom to believe that and not to be afraid because we are promised the plain and precious gospel that will allow us to know the Christ in that book. But even in the mainstream Christianity now, like like I mentioned, the Bible Project so many times, they they don't hold to that belief. They believe it goes through men and and has gone through men through time, and that God speaks to us through it. But uh, but it's certainly not this unfettered, untouched, um, you know, book straight from the lips of God through the mind of a man to the paper, you know, this magical, unfa- unfallible thing. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think we need to separate because sometimes people will say, well, the Bible is the inerrant word of God. Well, the Bible is actually man's writings about God and men can be inerrant but the, the real point is that God is inerrant, okay, and that he is infallible. We have learned from his writings to us, but can there be mistakes of men and translation and words and omissions and errors and of understanding, all of the above. So it's easier. You, you bring up a great question, though, Mike. I mean, it's kind of easier for us if you've been brought up to believe, well, sure, God has spoken in other places, and this is why we have the Book of Mormon. You know, if you're brought up that with that belief, you, you sort of, it's not like you're downplaying the Bible. You're just accepting the fact that God could have spoken to these people. And he hints in the Book of Mormon, he's spoken to other people too. Um, 
he says all nations, I will speak to all nations. Now, nations could be all the nations of the world, or it could have, in the context of the day, meant all the nations of the house of Israel, all the 12 tribes. Either way, um, the book that we have called the Bible came primarily from one tribe of Israel called the called Judah. Judah, mm-hmm. Judah. We have to ask some questions, even historically, that how, how could that have only been where God spoke? Because when we pick up the storyline after the flood, you know, everything starts over again with Noah's family. And then the generations aren't described in a lot of detail until Abraham comes on the scene, you know, some generations later. But we find that Noah's son, Shem, historically is still living at the time of Abraham. And then Abraham has Isaac and Isaac has Jacob and Jacob has uh Uh, Joseph, and Joseph goes into Egypt, and then it's 400 years after that generation of people that Moses comes on the scene. So within about five to 600 years of Abraham and all that, you have Moses. Well, when Moses comes on the scene, the storyline follows his people throughout. The rest of the Bible is kind of the generations of him, whether they were Judah or Joseph or whatever, but but what's interesting is when he takes his wife, his father-in-law is called the high priest, the high priest of Midian, Jethro. Jethro. Now, this is interesting. I, I don't want to go too far in this direction. But someone has to ask the question, wait a minute. If all of God's people were in Egypt with Moses, how is it that there's this high priest? Or how is it that Abraham, who goes to this guy named Melchizedek, how is it that the priesthood is traveling around among these people? Because don't we just get priesthood authority through Levi's tribe, right, who came out of Moses's culture in Egypt? Well, the, the point is this. I'm, I, the only reason I'm sharing this is this. We have the fact that God established authority through religion and even priesthood with other people outside of Moses. Now, most people don't see it that way because the only storyline we have is what came from Moses and on down. But even the people Moses interacts with and Abraham interacts with, they're already being called, you know, Melchizedek was this great high priest. And and you get Jethro, who's this high priest of Midian. Well, where's all this priesthood stuff coming from? And they were men of God outside of Moses' line because we we're led to believe, if you only believe the Bible, that, well, maybe it was just them. But even the Bible itself points towards other people who weren't of those tribes or people who yet had priesthood. And that's my point is that God was dealing with other people in other places. We'll get to this when we talk about the prophets of the Book of Mormon and what they had to say. But the Book of Mormon even clearly points out that God spoke to many prophets before Abraham and after him, and they wrote down his words. And some of them weren't contained in the Bible we have now, but they were in the plates of brass at one point in time. We'll, We'll get into those things. But... So, so this idea that God could speak to other people, how can we as humans contain God if, if the universe can't contain him? You know, if, if we are intellectually honest, is it, is it right to say, oh, God only spoke to this one group of people and he doesn't speak anymore? You know, that's kind of how we defend the Book of Mormon if we're evangelical, or the Bible, rather, if we're evangelicals. We kind of say, well, God doesn't speak anymore. God only did miracles then. You had to live in Jesus' presence in his day to do a miracle. And then, and then that makes 
the definition's more cut and dry, you know. So then, so then you're free to say, okay, we have the Bible. It's the only word of God. It's the inerrant word of God. He did his work then. We're just learning from it. He's going to rapture us off the earth, and, and that's it. There's a lot more to the story than that. Yeah, and you said intellectually honest, which is really, really hard to do. And, and to some extent, none of us are, I mean, most of us are not in some areas of our lives and we don't even realize it. We've bought into um, our culture and tradition. And as we grow, hopefully we see things in new, new ways and our eyes are opened and we mature spiritually and intellectually. But when you do come from a culture that has for many generations a very well taught, very theologically sound men have created their own names for different theologies and things and have set up their own framework and um, and have caused uh, people to become very well, very sound in their doctrine and very well able to defend those doctrines. And, you know, they have theories of, you know, this apostolic power went out after Jesus was here and they had a, a finite work to do and then they did it and there was no need for that anymore. And they, they do a good job of explaining why and, and I can buy into not buy into it, but I can see how people buy into that and and feel good about believing that. Mm-hmm. But we could say, um, we could also say with the Book of Mormon, it wasn't translated. Well, we believe, but well, maybe you'll get into how we got that later. So I won't, I won't go there. So anyway, never mind. Well, you know, we of the Gentiles, and I'm just talking about general Christians in the last days, have been given to believe that the Bible is the only word of God, that it wasn't even um, espoused in the day these records were written. And even like the Jews among people today, they, they study other writings of rabbis and, and, and they, there are other works that were written in the day, whether they were all, you know, that we would say they were all of God or not. The point is that they didn't limit God's word to only being contained in a book then. They they saw things of inspiration coming from God to people at all times. And these were written down and collected, which is scripture. I mean, it's the ins that's what scripture is. It's the inspiration of God given to man. Um, but for some people, that won't be enough. I mean, saying this, some people will only want to say, no, it's just the Bible. But I would I would encourage you to consider would it be possible that God could have ever spoken to other people? And if it's true, we believe the Book of Mormon is one of those records. Um, you know, the, the Book of Mormon, it's pure direction. It's it's like, it gives us sort of like a spiritual constitution that is plain and easy to understand. And it, it sets up framework for how to live and what to expect from God. Um, it, it's, it's, it's fresh and it's life and it's pure. It's, it's it's delightful. It's satisfying. I, I don't know. I just it's so much that um, that we've been given, and it's I believe it's of God. Um, but so I would just say try it with an open mind. If if you're just joining us in this episode and you haven't heard much of the Book of Mormon, the previous episode we felt we had to just set forth what it is not. In case you've heard of some of the Gentile misdeeds and things that people have done in the name of the Book of Mormon. It's kind of like a lot of things that have happened in the life of America to pick on our own country. You know, people who espouse slavery, for instance, while some Americans did that, not all Americans did. So not everyone who believed the Book of Mormon or believes it now has held to some strange doctrines. And I would invite you to know that you can read it without fear that you're going to be persuaded into deep 
or dark understandings that pull you away from God. No, it will it will draw you to God, the everlasting God. So how do we get this book? Um, if you read the book from cover to cover, which is kind of the best way to get started with it, um, the book starts at a time of 600 years before Jesus. This is a time when the inhabitants of Jerusalem uh, were people who had fallen into deep, dark spiritual ways, idolatry. They had been warned by prophets by as far back as Moses to uh, their days of Isaiah to even the modern-day contemporary prophets, Jeremiah, who were all warning them that for their iniquity, their, their culture, their way of life, their cities, everything was about to be destroyed. And so at this time... God warns uh, Lehi, a, a man who had a family there in around Jerusalem, to depart. And, and he is kind of cast out with many other prophets whose words were rejected because he was prophesying of not only their destruction, but he was also prophesying of this Messiah who was, in a vision he had, going to be the Savior of the world. And, and we find there were many people who were teaching of this Messiah, this Jesus Christ, who the Book of Mormon testifies, and their words were rejected. So this God-fearing man departs Jerusalem, and he brings records with him. He brings records that included Isaiah's writings and other prophets. In fact, we're led to believe that these records he brings with him, which we uh, learned were uh, tapped into brass, plates of brass, um, they were more numerous than even what we have in the Bible now. There were more records then. There were prophets uh, that uh, the Book of Mormon even refers to from time to time that whose names aren't mentioned in the current Bible that we have, although they were held in high esteem by the people in that day. So Lehi's family leaves Jerusalem, and when they start their journey, they make their own records. And it's interesting because their records were written as the son of Lehi, Nephi, records. He said, we're writing this in the learning of our people, the Hebrew learning, but we're writing it in the language of the Egyptians. Now, what's interesting about that historically is that scholars of the Hebrew language have determined that it was at this very time of this Babylonian conquest. That means when Babylon came and destroyed Jerusalem, that was what was about to happen. And Lehi left just before it happened. At that time, the the people of the day were using a different form of writing than what you would commonly recognize as Hebrew today. The Hebrew language itself went through three-ish kind of major phases, and there have been just certain dialects. The, the, the words of their written language came from the days of Moses when they borrowed from over 700 hieroglyphics that existed in the Egyptian culture. And they borrowed about 22 of these hieroglyphics and they made their own little letters, uh, a shorter version of the alphabet, if you will. And it became sort of a pictograph sort of language. Well, that language evolved later into something that was a hybrid of that, that looked more like scratchings and letters versus pictures. Uh, that was what was actually, now hi historians have looked back and say, that was what was in vogue in the day. That's how the the Hebrews wrote. They didn't write in the block form that you see the language now. They wrote in this Egyptian script. Well, who would have known this? You know, a farm boy in New York, that that was what they used in the day? Well, turns out that's what it was. 
It wasn't until after they came back from Babylon that their language evolved into what we have now, their written language, the more the Hebrew script. But the point I'm sharing is this. They left Jerusalem, and they made records, and they brought records. And the combination of the records they brought and the records they made have become the Book of Mormon. That's our, that's where our collection comes from. Um, but like God's stories that he's, are given in the Bible, there's a type in shadow. God broke off this branch of Lehi's family who are descendants of Joseph living in Jerusalem, and he replants them in another part of the world. And just how Joseph ends up being disowned by his own family and goes to a foreign land and rises to power one day and then saves his family in the day of famine. This family of Joseph's grandchildren who left Israel, their records will become spiritual food to the world one day and save Israel and save Gentiles by the spiritual nourishment that comes from this record, just like how Joseph saved his family physically in days of old, the words of Joseph are going to save Israel spiritually in a day to come. Mm. And we have, <clears throat> we have um, those words. And do, do you want to tell the, tell the listeners why it's called the book of Mormon Corey? Oh, good point. Um, so this collection of records uh, is a summary of a much larger collection of records that are described in the Book of Mormon. Um, uh, it's almost like an, an abridgment. Uh, a man named Mormon was entrusted many hundreds of years later after Lehi's uh, departure from Jerusalem, even after Jesus was alive and died. In a few hundred years after that, this man named Mormon finds his people in America have been keeping many, many records. And he picks and chooses and creates an abridgment of what was many larger volumes of records to give us a summary. And that small summary, those set of plates, were um, protected in the ground, but they were called the Book of Mormon. Uh, they, were, they, they stayed in the ground for over a thousand years, but they were called the Book of Mormon because that was his name. His name was Mormon. And Mormon, that word Mormon, uh, referred to a place in the Americas where there was a place of pure water where people were baptized and made their covenant. And this idea of the name of Mormon is a reminder of the, of the covenant that people made with Jesus Christ here in this world. Now, what would you say, so... When you say the Bible was a collection of books, uh, you know, that a committee got together and decided which books went into the Bible, um, how would you describe that? I'm putting you on the spot parallel to, uh, you know, one man named Mormon taking a collection of writings on, on this continent and deciding what's going to go into his book. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair question. Um, it's a good question, really, one I hadn't considered. But we, we trust through inspiration that, uh, you know, for the right reasons, who knows what all the reasons are, um, that the people who were the Bible committee, you know, chose with good reason to, to include and exclude certain books. In the Book of Mormon's case, it seemed it didn't come by committee, it came by one man. And this, um, we have to believe, was because while they say there were things that were written 
couldn't describe a hundredth of what had happened there. We're, we're, we're led to believe that the important things were written. Part of the Book of Mormon contains prophecy to the very people from whom it came. The book was written by them, by their cultures who were descendants of Joseph. It was hidden in the ground, discovered by Gentiles. And, and Mormon knew his people one day would return to God because of this work. So I believe in his passion to see them come forth and to see us in our day have the fullness of the gospel. He pulled out what he found to be essential to satisfy those points. He pulled out things that were important for us to understand about, A, who is God and the sacrifice he made as a man, Jesus Christ for us. It pulls out points about what are the promises to Israel, you know, their fall from God and truth and how they're going to return again someday through this very record. Just like we said, this parallel of Joseph's life, the Book of Mormon is a parallel of spiritual nourishment to go back to Israel. But yet to the Gentiles, uh, the people who found the record first, when I say Gentiles, I mean our nation, our people, our culture, who um, found this gift and who've uh, largely rejected it. Mormon pulled out messages for all those people because he knew the Gentiles were going to read it. He knew Joseph was going to read it. He knew the Jews were going to read it. And he he answered perplexing questions that would face all of these cultures, spiritually and even morally. And, and he somehow, by inspiration, answers these questions. So I believe it was through God's inspiration, foreknowing what was going to happen happened. But we're also told this, <clears throat> there was more written that we weren't allowed to have that's supposed to come forth again yet in a future day. And this part was to try our faith. Yeah, that's what I was, that's what I was thinking of. Um, it definitely says, um, it seems these collection, what we have now seems to have a purpose because it, it does say that there were other ones that we could not have. And so it seems he was being directed you know, if you're being directed, don't don't include this. This is for another time when people obey this. He, that God's, you know, that He's saying these records uh, are what they need right now. But also the title page. I think if it, I don't know if I don't know much about the title page. Like, is that something editorial wise that Mormon wrote after he was done? Um, after he was done abridging. Yeah, um, and and if it is, then that very clearly gives you a stamp of um, this is what you need to know Christ. Yeah, yeah. You know, the older Book of Mormons used to have it at the very end of the Book of Mormon, but the the Restored mm, Covenant edition, yeah, puts it at the front where it should be, and and so um, this title page summarizes. The, it says, hey, this is to tell all nations that Jesus is the eternal God. And he speaks to the, the Jews that they're not forgotten and that the house of Joseph, that they're not forgotten in the covenants. And to the Gentiles, you know, that this was given as a gift. This summarizes, I think, to use our term mission statement, you know, the, the title page is sort of a mission statement of the Book of Mormon. And, and, um, but it, and it wasn't written... It wasn't written by man in eighteen hundreds. It's it's, a, it's the title page of the man that actually edited and um, not a collaborate, not collaborated. Oh my gosh, man. consolidated, consolidated. There you go. Oh, the man that consolidated the records wrote the title page. So he 
he's responsible for telling you what he just did in his life's work and yeah. what the purpose of it is. And so I do think it's much more, um, it's, it's much more, <laughs> I'm not even going to try to find the word, Corey. That's all right. <laughs> it's much more, um, yes, I am. Mm, go on. It's okay. <laughs> hey, so the title page. Fluent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, says, you know, it, wherefore it's an, this was, this was what Moroni, the last guy who wrote in the collection of the records that we have, the, Moroni was the son of Mormon who consolidated everything else, as you stated. Moroni actually adds this on top. Oh, you know what? It's interesting. Uh, I just, I, I said that wrong. The The title page actually has this preface, an account written by the hand of Mormon upon the plates taken from the plates of Nephi. And it says, it's an abridgment of the record of the people of Nephi and also the Lamanites. Written to the Lamanites. Lamanites, we believe, are the descendants of these people from Joseph, from Lehi. Written to the Lamanites, which are a remnant of the house of Israel, and also Jew and Gentile. So here, the the... The whole world is described. The Lamanites were Joseph's remnant. The Jews were in the house of Israel. Yeah, the, the whole, Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Everyone. It's written for everyone. <clears throat> and it's written by way of commandment. Uh, but it was sealed up so it wouldn't be destroyed. And it would come forth by the gift and power of God someday. Um, that's the part that, you know, for some people, you have to take that on faith. But why not? I mean, why not say, yeah, God allowed this to be interpreted by his gift and power because he is great and marvelous. Um, there's there's no other explanation for it. These words couldn't be written by just a person, uh, let alone a young boy. Um, but it would be sealed up again and to come forth again later, other parts of the record, in the own due time of, of God. So this abridgment, also includes this record of ether. Now, when we talk about the Book of Mormon, reading it from cover to cover, the story takes place 600 years before Christ, about the time when Jerusalem is destroyed. But there's an account where people living in America find other records from America. And these people were called the Jaredites. They, they were a separate group of people way before Israel was even a nation from the time of the Tower of Babel, who left at the time when the languages were confused. So it's a flashback. Yeah. If you're watching a movie, it's yeah. a flashback to an earlier time, but it's found at the end of the book. Yeah, and what we find is that the end of that, that these people came to America you know, way, way before Nephi. And where we see these mound-building societies, evidence throughout America here, we've come to learn archaeologists have coincided their timing with exactly what the Book of Mormon said. This nation, and the Book of Mormon says there would be none greater, would flourish upon the Americas through common culture and government and trading and and everything. Um, Their civilization is living, actually, the end of their civilization is still living in the Americas at the time when Nephi arrives, but they don't overlap. They don't see each other. They don't even know each other's there. But in the end, a discovery is made where there's this place where bones are covering the ground and these people find a record. And there's a person who kind of is left over from their society who come and inhabit it's part of this uh, collection of later Nephites. And the two 
societies overlap a little bit, but what is retained is their record. And this record was written, and it's called the, the Book of Ether, E-T-H-E-R. And he was one of the last survivors of this great society that predated the Nephites here in America. Again, <clears throat> people who have been led by God's hand for God's purpose. And they also had a testimony of Jesus Christ. You know, if if I had to separate these groups of people from, you know, the main difference between them and the people who lived in Israel who from whom we have the Bible, I would say the main difference is these people had an early testimony that Jesus was the Savior. There was no confusion. It seemed the people in Israel and the people who we kind of get the Bible from had this clouded understanding of what the Messiah was. They, they didn't see the point of the law of Moses all pointing towards him being the great and last sacrifice. And so the people of Nephi and the people of Jared, they did. They saw that. They saw he was the Messiah. And God graciously revealed that, not to them, but to anyone, people in our day too. That's been the point from the beginning. So it, it makes sense that God would lead these people by his hand and that he would show them the truth. Uh, Israel, unfortunately, was the disobedient child who many times didn't understand the truth. And then we get the interpretation of scripture and stuff through their clouded vision sometimes, uh, their misunderstandings about who God was and their, their choice of idolatry instead. But so this abridgment states <clears throat> all these records, including Ether, um, were to show to the remnant of the house of Israel how great things the Lord hath done for their fathers, that they might know the covenant of the Lord that they are not cast off forever, and also to convincing the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, manifesting himself unto all nations. So this is why we have it. God wanted to manifest the truth of who Jesus Christ is to all nations. So it, it comes to us from Lehi's family with another collection. But in all, the Lehi's people span about a thousand years in America. And the majority of the Book of Mormon is their story. Uh, we have a, a chapter, a book, a small book within there that contains a, a very short summary of the people who predated them who are also in America. And we're told through both of these accounts that there were actually many, many records written. Um, some we may never know, but but some that are foretold that will actually come forth again. And they're going to all corroborate the truth of the first. Yeah, so we're taught that the ancient world started, you know, in Africa and Egypt and spread out from there. But there was quite an ancient world going on over here in American continent as well for at least several thousand years or a couple thousand years before before Christ. Yeah, and you know, even if you take the spiritual aspect of the Book of Mormon apart, uh, outside of it, take it away from there, and just look at the history itself, and you see pyramids and cities and ancient ruins and things that just spread throughout the Americas, um, you got to scratch your head and wonder, well, how did these people know all this stuff too? Mm -hmm. right? There's truth to it. So the Book of Mormon explains that, uh, you know, these people knew God, the Almighty God, and they learned that this creator would take on flesh and become this infinite and eternal sacrifice. Uh, and they knew the ones that came out of Israel later knew that this these laws they lived under, this law of Moses, temporary laws, all pointed towards a sacrifice uh, who would be the son of God. 
Um, but so this book, it, it it's explaining everything that this title page summarizes, how these later people would be scattered to the world, and but yet they're not forgotten in God's covenants. And that one day, a day in the future, they return to God. And it's a more beautiful story that, unfortunately, when you hear things that are discussed like rapture doctrine in the evangelical uh, circles, um, you don't get any of that. What you get in the Book of Mormon is is the true description of what's going to happen in the future, that God's truth comes back to his people and his people become spiritually empowered and, and eventually righteousness overwhelms the earth and righteousness overcomes this great and abominable church in the day to come. And, and it's a beautiful, intriguing story that is very contrary to what's being uh, kind of promulgated throughout the churches of the um, in the American culture anyhow today where there's this idea that, oh, well, things get bad and God just takes us off the earth before then. It's called rapture. It's like, no, the Book of Mormon, there's no rapture theory here. It's not that. The Book of Mormon tells the prophets foretell what's going to happen in the last days, and it's a much more powerful story that that we have and, and that the world should know. Yeah, I think it's still quite... Um it's plain in many ways. There, it still takes a lot of study in some ways to figure out the timeline and everything. As it seems like God is always that way, but I, th- I think it's so much more concise and laid out in a way that's easier to understand than trying to glean from, from the Bible in the many different places that you that you can go to try to get a picture of what's going to happen in the last days. Yeah, it seemed the people who were writers and contributing to the original plates all knew that their words were going to come to a people much later and that their words come by way of explanation. They aren't trying to be just mysterious and deep. They're trying to explain what, what life means and salvation and who Jesus was. So these people who were part of Lehi's original family had wars and they had challenges and they, you know, some people believed and some people didn't believe. And, and then the tables turned and the people who were the non-believers came to Christ and the people who had been righteous fell away. And, we see this happen, and we find that Jesus, good to his word, actually comes to this continent and visits the people who are also descendants of Israel. Like he said, other sheep I have. But um, there's so much to that that th- those will be other episodes when we discuss this. But what? how did we get the Book of Mormon here in the year 2020 into our hands? The, the book was sealed up intentionally, and it was hidden in the ground. And back in the day... It was at the end of the Nephite civilization. These people had warred against themselves. Most of them had fallen away. Um, and, and while once they had been blessed and enhanced by God's power, they eventually rejected that truth and fell into the carnal lusts and, and, and evil. And some of those people would have destroyed the very records if they had found them. But uh, Moroni, who was the last contributor of this part of the Book of Mormon, seals the book up. Most of it was his father's uh, abridgment, and it stayed in the ground for over a thousand years. And we believe that God, through inspiring uh, a young boy, Joseph Smith, who um, was led by an angel, was allowed to find these plates in his home state of New York in the ground, set there specifically to be discovered at a much later day and age by not the original people who wrote it, not the the house of Joseph and his descendants, but the Gentiles, 
of people who weren't part of that, but who have, we find through the Book of Mormon, every equal claim on salvation and, and are loved by God just as much, whether we were born into the house of Israel or outside of it. We are given the same privilege to come to Christ. So he brings this book forth to the world. Um, yeah, church started in different things, and there were good things that happened, amazing things that happened, and there were sad things that happened with all that. We're not even here to discuss that history. The main thing is that God inspired through his power uh, the, the book to be translated, and what we've got in our hands now has come to us. We are the first recipients of this book, even though it's been you know 200 years roughly since uh, the book was translated. It came to us Gentiles, but the forecast in the book itself said someday the Gentiles will reject it, and that's largely happening right now. Most of the people don't believe it. But I think in that rejection, too, the Gentiles reject any, the Spirit of God, whether, whether they have even heard of the, the gospel in the Book of Mormon or whether they've heard of the gospel in the Bible that we are rejecting Christ in this nation and the spirit of righteousness, the spirit of holiness that guides all mankind, whether they know it or not, we're becoming amoral and we're, we're rejecting him. So it's not just like, I don't believe the book of Mormon. Cause I, I think you, you know, you can go to heaven and be on the right hand of God. If you don't believe the book of Mormon, um, eventually one day you will know that it was true, but it, it's, if you love the Lord and then that's where you're at on your walk to him, you still have to, go to heaven through Christ and through everything that he says. And that's, you know, but we don't believe anyway, we don't believe it just ends like that. And it's that simple. Right. That's more of the truth that we'll find in the book of Mormon. But mankind um, is rejecting Jesus by and large on, on this continent and any spirit of, of holiness and righteousness and truth. And so that's part of the Gentiles, I think, rejecting um, the the message of Christ in these last days. Uh, that's an excellent point. You know, people who mock, people who are naysayers will say, oh, well, Joseph Smith wrote the book. Um, I don't believe that. I believe it is what it says it is. It's a book written by Israelites. It's not a book written by Gentiles. Um, it was a book written by Israelites found by Gentiles who stumbled on it because God wanted us to have it and he wanted us to have it with humility and he wanted us to have the pure doctrine. Uh, he wants the world to come to Christ through this plain and precious and pure doctrine. And it tells God's plan to regather those people to, to him through truth. Um, so, you know, the book is not just a diary of by the family. There were many, many prophets who lived in the Americas were found. Their words were written in here. But what we find throughout this common theme exists that it tells of the Messiah's plan and purpose to restore his relationship with humanity. That's first and foremost. And there, there's so many religions in the world that tell different things about how we're supposed to live and what what eternity is like. The Book of Mormon sets the story straight. It, it, it settles the arguments even between Christians and Christian denominations, if we'll, if we'll read it openly and honestly. And then the, the Book of Mormon, so it, it tells the salvation plan. It tells the covenants of how God in his unfailing purpose will 
bring Jews and Gentiles back together and in, in, in how his kingdom on earth called Zion will be established and how it will be established in a way where nations will flow unto it to learn of his ways because his purpose is redemptive. His purpose is to bring people back to him and restore them to him. Um, so this, you know, these are the major themes. It's a beautiful story of salvation and how freely it's offered to mankind. So uh, that's just a little overview of where uh, the Book of Mormon came from. Uh, you know, again, we're not here to really discuss the history of the restoration right now of people who've had it since then, but to just look back at the pure pure message it contains. And I will say this, Mike, you know, in our last episode when we talked about some of the things that the Book of Mormon doesn't teach, which people may associate because mm-hmm. of things they've heard, I found this in my own study. If we instead had taken this very book and preached it as the doctrine, not these other things that became doctrine, the, the church under its name could have been seen as the most powerful entity in the world literally, because of this plain and powerful word that comes from it. I, I just amazed that we've we've largely, in my estimation, kind of missed it, and we're just coming around to it now, realizing, you know, this was the book of doctrine and covenants that was that God gave to us. Yeah, and well, when things go south and fall apart, um, it gives man time to ponder, where did we go wrong? What What did we... What did we do wrong? What message did we miss? And and hopefully go back to the foundation. And so that's why I get joy um, talking about these things and reading the particular word found in this book. Yes, yes. Well, we haven't spent too much time yet in either episode um, specifically citing scriptures from the Book of Mormon, but we will as we go, because again, we we don't want this to be our words. When we talk about what does the Book of Mormon teach, we want to let the Book of Mormon teach what it what it has, it's share its message. And so uh, in the in the next episodes, I'm looking forward to simply sharing the word and hopefully it can be a message to Jew and Gentile and Israel that God, Yeshua the Savior has not forgotten his covenants, and he remembers the the house of Israel. He extends his arm still to us. His arm is outreached. It has not been pulled back so that we can come to him. And this book teaches of who he is and what his plan is for us and, and how we can return to him. I'm glad you brought that up because um, I was thinking we said we're doing a series on what, what does the Book of Mormon teach? And um, and I was thinking the great thing with podcasts is you're not limited to one 40-minute span for a sermon. We can we can take our time. So, yeah, the last couple episodes have just <clears throat> brought us into this introduction. And, um, and I'm looking forward, as I hope most of you are, to getting to the meat of the message, which is coming up. So, yeah, next time we'll talk more about who God is and what the Book of Mormon teaches about him and his mercy. So until then, just remember, we are here just walking each other home. Amen.